I'm going to talk about contentment this afternoon, but before I talk about contentment, I want to talk about what makes us happy. <laughs> when will we be happy? Or when we will have... Or when will we have enough to be happy? A lot of us have this idea that happiness is going to come some, from some kind of future event. Uh, it's going to be some kind of achievement of success. Our happiness will often depend upon something else happening. When will we be happy? Uh, so, for example, our, the story of our lives is that we continually complete the sentence, I'll be happy when. Alison's concerned about the dishes. I have no idea why. I do them every day. Ah. You think about it, the story of our lives, I'll be happy when I fall in love. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I get our dream house, when we can do those home improvements. And then even when these finally occur, happiness is elusive. So we pile on a few more future events. Happy when I have children. Happy when the children are older. Uh, happy when I retire. <laughs> and before we know it, a whole lifetime has passed and we finally discover all along that we've been pursuing an illusion. Perhaps those things that we so long for provide temporary excitement, but too soon, they become ordinary again. Or something else happens to spoil the illusion. And so we replace our goals with the next fantasy of happiness. So when will you be happy? When will you ever have enough, be enough? Stop placing conditions on what will allow you to be happy. Or what if we pursued contentment? instead of happiness. What difference would that make in our lives? I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> because this is Paul's emphasis in the final part of our series on imitating Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 3, and it says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, and I can do all this through him who gives, gives me strength. I have learned to be content, whatever my circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, and I've learned it from Jesus. He's the one who's given me the strength that I've needed. Again, Paul is imitating, imitating Jesus, who was the most peaceful and contented man that ever lived. I got this from him, Paul says, and so can you. So let's look at some of the look at these verses and see what we can imitate. See what we can download from heaven today. First of all, I want to ask this question: Where did Paul learn this? 
The verb that he uses indicates that there was a particular moment or circumstance where he learned contentment and then he never looked back. A kind of Damascus Road experience. It could be, or it could have been, one of his extraordinary life experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a whole list of experiences, circumstances that Paul went through. He says, I've worked much harder than anybody else. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I'm worried about all of you. Wow. Those are some experiences, aren't they? He says, I've learned the secret of being content. How? I mean, you struggle to see any reason that Paul might have learned contentment. It's a wonder he's even alive. I mean, so what is this contentment all about then? If he says, I've learned contentment and he's been through all that. And for someone who'd been through so much, you'd wonder if he'd resorted to some kind of resigned fatalism. Perhaps that's it. Resigned fatalism. Cue the music. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Ah, nobody joined in. <laughs> but I hardly think that sounds like Paul. Whatever will be, will be. Fatalism. There was no passivity in the way that he lived. He was always reaching, always stretching, running the race, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. That doesn't describe a fatalistic attitude. So what does Paul mean by contentment? Perhaps the clue is in there, in that word, content. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And actually, Paul uses a really unusual word in the Greek, which is only used once in the whole Bible. And it comes right out of Greek philosophy. We're going to do a bit of philosophy now, okay? Stoicism. It comes right out of Stoicism. Of course, this kind of philosophical thinking would have been very familiar to the Philippians because he was speaking their cultural language. Stoic thinking. It was all about self-mastery and the internal world. You, you can describe a person as stoic. They don't react. They're very unemotional. Whatever happens makes no difference. You train yourself not to react. In stoicism, you're not dependent upon circumstances, anyone or anything else for how you feel. That's the aim. Self-containment. Self-sufficiency. And Paul says, rather mischievously, I think that he's learned the secret of contentment, almost like he was teasing them a bit, using their own culture against them. And interestingly, I was reading about a modern version of this kind of philosophy in some research that was done with a remote 
group of former nomads in the Himalayas of eastern Bhutan in 2014. An ancient culture untouched by the modern world. No outsider had been there, making them one of the last three uncontacted villages on the planet. And the researchers were actually trying to identify human emotions that were universal across cultures. So they looked at shame, they looked at joy, they looked at embarrassment, a full range of human emotions to see if the same kind of emotions could be recognized by people who had no experience of the outside world. And incredibly, the villagers recognized most of the emotions with a relatively high degree of accuracy until they came to one that didn't behave like all the others, and that was contentment. And immediately, there was a problem, because the translator didn't have an equivalent word for this emotion in our language. He explained that this was a very special state, not an emotion, it represented, he said, the highest achievement of human well-being, and it is what the greatest enlightened masters have been writing about for thousands of years. He said this is a very deep and spiritual word about the knowledge of enough. It basically meant that right here, right now, everything is perfect as it is, regardless of what you are experiencing outside. And that's a really great definition. It was so rare that it was thought to be completely unachievable as an emotion. It was a deep spiritual state if that few, if anybody, had ever attained. Well, Paul says, I've learned the secret of that. <laughs> I've learned the secret of that. I've had Rather mischievously, he says, I've had a mystical inter in initiation ceremony. That's, that word secret is an initiation ceremony. He's really playing with them. All that the philosophers have failed to find, I've found it, and it's in Christ. And he says this in verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul's secret is that contentment is found in Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. In Christ. That's the secret of contentment, and it's open to all who follow Christ, which means that contentment's possible for each of us. Of course, how far we know the secret of contentment and to what degree we are proving the sufficiency of Christ all depends uh, in all the demands of our lives is a hugely challenging question for us to answer. So what if we pursued contentment rather than happiness? It seems like a good idea. Contentment is found in Christ. Happiness depends on what happens to us. So what if we could tap into joy instead and find contentment in Christ irrespective of circumstances? That's what Paul is opening up to us in this passage. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate contentment in our lives? So I want to talk to you now about cultivating contentment. First of all, we're going to need to get a different perspective on our right to happiness. <laughs> See, Jesus never promised to make us happy. He said he would make us holy and blessed. 
He never said that nothing bad would happen to us. He said that he'd never leave us. He never said that storms would never come. Rather, he promised us peace in the storm. And I'm not saying by this <laughs> that we should never be happy. I mean, do you even know me if you think that? Uh, and knowing God and his innumerable blessings in our life should make us supremely happy. It's just that the pursuit of happiness and all its elusiveness should no longer be our top priority. All of which means that cultivating contentment means reordering the pursuit of happiness with the pursuit of contentment. The problem is that the pursuit of happiness is a hard habit to break. We've been doing it for so long now, trying to find the next thing to make us happy. It's called the more strategy. More money, more power, more stuff, more validation, more success bestowed on our fragile egos from the world outside of us. And while there's nothing wrong with temporary boosts of happiness, it's simply not sustainable. Always going after more costs us more all the time. In energy, in resources, keeping up this relentless and pointless pursuit. And sometimes, you see, we're going to have trouble in our lives. Sometimes we are. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or that he's not with us. You see, you don't always have what you want. We don't always get what we deserve, which if you think about it, that's probably a good thing. And so the more strategy has to die in the pursuit of the much greater purpose of contentment. The pursuit of contentment. So instead of the more strategy, this could be described as the, uh, the enough strategy. Even the more than enough strategy. This is about how you are enough. It's about how you have enough. It's about it will be enough. It's the knowledge of enough that we were hearing about earlier. It's that inward condition that right here, right now, everything's fine, just as it is, regardless of what is going on outside because of Christ. What was impossible to ancient cultures, Greek philosophy, and the false promises of happiness in the modern world is more than possible in Christ, where all things can be done. So I just want to bring some application and make three positive statements that will help us to cultivate contentment in our lives. You up for that? You want a bit of that? The first thing is you are enough because of what Jesus has done. You are enough. You know, psychologists tell us that feelings of contentment are possible where people are able to direct their attention inward to find the happiness that's already inside of them. Yeah, right. That's a pretty hopeless thing. Unless what's inside is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's inside of you? Paul experienced a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road, and he was never the same again. He was given a brand new identity. The slate was wiped clean, and he was a new creation. And I, I said we don't know when he learned the secret of contentment, but I reckon it was here. I don't think it was all those shipwrecks and goodness knows what else. I think it was here. 
Paul never looked back from that experience. And from what I can see, his logic from that point on, it was that if God could do that for him, the worst of sinners, then providing for my needs, keeping me safe, having a plan for life, those are small things in comparison. But it's the same for us too. You know, you are forgiven. You are healed. You are free in his sight. But don't lose the eternal importance of your salvation. You have a new identity in Christ. You're a new person. You don't have to be the same anymore. And you don't have to try to be someone anymore because you are someone. You are a son, or a royal son or a royal daughter, chosen by God, significant and loved. And do you know that there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does? And there's nothing that you can do that can stop him loving you any more than he already does. You are enough. With this knowledge, you can be content when you look inside to the person that he's made you to be. So say this with me. Ready? I am significant. I am loved. I am free to be all that God has made me to be. Close your eyes and say, I am enough. I'm enough. Thank you, Jesus, because of what you've done. Second positive statement, you are enough. You have enough because he will provide. Paul's testimony in this passage and the rest of the chapter is that he was amply supplied, that he had enough, more than enough for his needs. Of course, some of this is to do with his definition of what's enough. Well, we can find this in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul says that if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food and clothing is more than just food and clothing. It actually means shelter. It means covering. It means a house. If I've got a house, I've got something to eat, I've got some clothes to wear, that is enough. I'll be content with that. Which, of course, follows Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, where he commands us not to worry about the basics of food and clothing. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need and he'll give it to you. Contentment with the basics. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have more than that. You know, God is so gracious. He gives us so much more than we could ever ask or think. Paul isn't saying that as a Christian, you can't have more than just food and clothing. But the emphasis is on that's where contentment starts when it comes to provision. If you've got that, if you have food and clothing, shelter of your head, then you can be content with that. Anything less than that would be destitution. More than that is a bonus, a sign of God's extravagant love and blessing for which we must be thankful. And most of us have considerably more than the basics of food and clothing. And this is enough for us to be content with what we have. So contentment in what we have is, to quote Alec Mottier, the work, the mark of a mature believer and an objective to be cultivated by all believers who want to grow in Christ who have nowhere to lay his head. It's enough. So I just want us to pray for a minute. And you can repeat this after me because this is application, so you have to do something. You ready? So I want you to pray this after me. 
Father, forgive my dissatisfaction with what I have. I repent of my greed and covetousness. I lay down the pursuit of worldly happiness at the cross. I choose to thank you for all that I have and all that you've given me. Father, I choose to trust you for all future provision because you are a generous provider. Because you are my generous provider in Jesus' name. I just want to make a declaration. Let's make a declaration together. I think I've put it up on the screen. Let's read this declaration together. I declare by faith that Jesus supplies all my needs and that every aspect of my life will be fruitful in Jesus' name, and that God will enrich my life with an abundance of his joy. Amen. Amen. He's more than enough. You more than enough. He will provide for your needs. Thirdly, it will be enough because he's in charge. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Paul endured some terrible circumstances, and I read a list of some of them to you in 2 Corinthians. He was often in terror for his life, and he was shipwrecked, I don't know how many times, beaten. He lived through tremendous insecurity and uncertainty, and yet he wrote this. I think that's amazing. Yes, he was bitten by a snake as well. Yeah, he had some pretty bad stuff happen. And we haven't experienced anything like this, I don't think. I'm looking around the room. Um, something of the uncertainty of the pandemic has really tested some of us, hasn't it? It's shaken us a bit um, because we like predictable patterns. We like things to be in control. We generally like to know what comes next and we want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's tested us. But these are not attributes of contentment. These things threaten our happiness. These things are happen to us. Contentment means that when we go through difficult and uncertain times, we can still be at peace in our hearts, whatever the future holds. How about that? That's when we go for contentment, not happiness. And the apostle had learned to be content. Why? Because he'd learned to trust. Paul's contentment demonstrated his ability to trust God in all circumstances. So whatever happens to me, I'm going to trust him. Now, whatever comes tomorrow, I'm going to trust him. My life belongs to him. And with that, I can be content. So I just want to finish with a prayer for that as well. And maybe you want to just pray this after me. And we're going to close with this. It's this. Father God, I choose to trust you in all and every circumstance of my life. Why don't you just pray that? I choose to trust you in all and every circumstance of my life. You are a faithful God and you have always been faithful to me. You are a faithful God and you have always been faithful to me. I turn away from my unbelief knowing that whatever comes tomorrow, I can trust you. I turn away from my unbelief knowing that whatever comes tomorrow, I can trust you. Lord, you have my life, and I belong to you. Lord, you have my life, and I belong to you. 
And your plan is working out in my life. Your plan is working out in my life. With all this, I can be content. Let's pursue contentment rather than happiness. And we'll experience the outpouring of his joy. Can I just pray for you? And then we're going to close. Lord Jesus, we do worry so much. Because, Lord, we don't have your perspective. We don't see things as you see them. We don't see the end from the beginning. Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of sight and our lack of understanding. But, Father, we repent of that and we choose to trust you. Lord Jesus, we ask you for the gift of contentment. We pray that I would just, you know, even as we take a break, some of us over the summer, that you just marinate us in your contentment of us so that we can be content with everything that happens to us. And Father, whatever comes, we're going to choose to trust you. We're going to look to you because, Lord, you do know the end from the beginning. And so we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.